Welcome to another episode of the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Early. In this episode, we have Rich Hoffman of The Athletic. Rich is one of the best Sixers beat reporters and basketball writers, not just in Philadelphia, but in my opinion, on the whole beat, because I am one of those junkies who reads tons of stuff about all teams. And um, he's one of those that really knows basketball and loves the game. And you can tell that in his writing and his work. Um, Sixers fans know him also because he podcasts on the Sixers beat with Derek Bodner, uh, founder of the Daily Six. So we talked to Rich about all kinds of stuff from the team's decision to bring back Shake Milton for the upcoming season, the pending massive hinge for the entire offseason, whether or not James Harden will opt in or opt out, uh, and the ramifications that could have in terms of onboarding a guy like Tucker. And we talk a lot about DeAnthony Melton. Rich wrote a great post about Melton. We get into his game, whether or not he could be a member of the closing lineup um, or if he's more of a third guard to come off the bench and what else this team needs and what it could look like. We even get into a little bit about Joel's feelings on the James Harden trade after the playoffs, whether or not he was frustrated and um, some stuff about Maury and Doc. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's talk to one of the best in the business and Rich Hoffman. All right, Rich, how you doing? Dave, I'm doing great, man. It's uh it's another free agency upon us. It's uh you know, we're we're almost there until for me for the the complete uh time off, but uh yeah, it, it should be fun. We're in the middle of slop season right now, which is always an entertaining few few weeks, days, whatever it is. It's really unique to the NBA, isn't it? Like when the Super Bowl ended, I even like diehard fantasy players are not devouring slop like the NBA. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the way the schedule goes, right? It's the, you get the, the finals, you get the, at least for the Super Bowl, you get the draft, which is probably a bigger deal, honestly, in football. Um, it's like two months after it, right? You know, they got all that stuff and the NBA, they just jam pack, you know, the, the Warriors do their parade and, you know, you get the draft in a day. And then you, yeah, you got free agency in a week. But yeah, the, uh, even the lottery in the middle of the conference finals feels like, Wow, that's not even an event. <laughs> yeah, it's uh oh man, I just remember all those years when the lottery was all we cared about, you know, and now it's uh the Sixers aren't in that lottery and it's on the heels of, you know, they're not even in those conference finals. But yeah, it's a uh, I, I do think there is like a little bit of an issue with it in that sometimes I do think the NBA the transaction has overtaken the action a little bit. And by the way, like I, I love the slop too. So I'm not trying to dig on NBA Twitter and, and all that, but I do think like they need to be able to market the games maybe a little bit better because that's what ultimately this is all about. But yeah, I think uh, it's really not like comparable to any other sport. How, uh, how crazy this is, even in a free agency class that isn't, you know, we're talking about PJ Tucker and guys like that, you know, it's not like this is earth shattering stuff here. Not, it's not earth shattering stuff, no. <laughs> um, sorry, this is your second time on the pod. Welcome back. Thanks. The last time we had you here, we were talking about how like the front office is a WeWorks and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So maybe they've come a long way. Maybe they haven't in some ways. Um, the news of the day is Shake Milton. It looks like they picked up his team option for the coming season. Do you have an immediate reaction on that? Are you surprised by it? No, not surprised by it. I mean, it's, it's an easy call, you know, for him barely making any money in the last year of his contract. And somebody who I think probably could be a playoff guy. You know, I've been talking with Derek a lot about 
how they have four and a half players, I guess five and a half with Milton, who you could trust in a playoff series. I think that number might be six and a half if you count Shake, who had a weird year last year, right? He was hurt. He uh, he just had terrible injury and COVID luck and just could never get in a groove. But, you know, towards the end of that Miami series, I felt like he was of the depth pieces was the guy who was most comfortable to play uh, in that series. Now, I, I do wonder a little bit, you know, now that the Anthony Melton is here, who's kind of overtaken that third guard spot from him. I, I would have been okay with the Sixers rolling with shake going into the year as the third guard, but the Anthony Melton, that was a nice little trade. Um, but no, it's, it's not surprising. You don't, uh, you don't get rid of good players that you, you have for cheap. Does this tell you anything? Everybody's wondering like PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker, the Sixers want, you know, if we hear that Harden who will get to is going to opt in or out, that's one way that they could get Tucker. The other way was people talking about, well, they could move one of Matisse and Furkan and maybe shake in there. Um, and then the final way would be, I don't even remember the final, oh, trading Tobias Harris. But do you think with shake being picked up that that tells you anything about Matisse or Furkan or is there nothing to read there? With shake? Uh, yeah. No, I don't really think he, he affects those two guys. I mean, I, I think... Like you said, to get PJ Tucker, you know, there are probably three ways that can happen. It's if Harden takes a lot less money, which the reporting so far has indicated that he will not in the first year. But like, look, that hasn't happened yet. And, um, you know, we'll see when the contract comes out. What uh, percent would you break down right now that he opts in? I, I honestly, I, I, I could barely put a, put a feel on that right now. <laughs> I, I, I would say this, though, it does not. To me, I don't understand why he would opt in if he took the three-year deal, though. You know, like I feel like the best move would be to take less money this year and to toss more money on the next couple of years. That's just looking at it to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think honestly, from the reporting we've gotten so far, I would say better than 50%, right? It seems like that's what they're they're doing. And he just straight up has the option to uh to do that. And and look, you know, it could be a thing where maybe it's, it's dependent on PJ Tucker, you know, maybe it's a thing where if we can get PJ Tucker, all right, maybe I will take a little bit less, but if not, you know, we'll see. So yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't even fancy a guest. So that's, that's one of the ways. The other way is trade Tobias Harris, which I'll kind of believe that when I see it, you know, like I, I think the idea of salary dumping him, it, it just, I, you know, you, you hear that rumored and I just wonder like, how does that happen? You know, who, what are the Sixers giving up? What team is willing to take him on? And then the third one is kind of like what you just mentioned. You know, it's the, the corks, the thigh bulls, the shakes, you know, using those guys to clear salary and just duck right under that apron for that, uh, you know, that $10 million mid-level exception. Um, I, I find that, I, I think both of those last two things are going to be tough in their own ways, honestly. And even if somebody would be able to take shake in a, uh, like teams would just take shake for, for nothing. Like they absolutely would, but the Sixers wouldn't give them up for nothing either. So, uh, you know, I I think that's kind of where we're at right now with, uh, with the Sixers off season. Yeah. There's still a lot of moving parts. What, what would you say the chances are? I know you did a uh, stay or go recently, but now with Tucker and Melton on board, what do you say the chances that Matisse is here opening day? Does he fit with Melton, like lots of steals and deflections, or is he more likely moved now? I, I still think he's going to, I, if I had to guess, I would say move. But 
here's the thing though. I, I think with Melton, it's probably higher that he stays, right? Because I, I thought Matisse, his best chance to be moved was as like a sweetener in a trade, you know, and that was what the the reporting was, you know, Daryl Morey offering, you know, that pick and Matisse Dibel in in a bunch of different trades. Well, now you've made that trade for DeAnthony Melton and you use the pick as the sweetener. And I just look at this roster right now and they are so unbelievably thin on the wing right now. Like they, they really, Matisse Dibel is the only true wing that they have. They have Tobias Harris as well. But I mean, after that, it's, it's Niang is kind of your backup four. And we know, you know, he's a good regular season player, but that's it. So, you know, if Matisse, I, I will say this, if Matisse Dibel is moved, it will be for a wing. Like you, you have to replace him with another wing, whether that's to dump him into another team's cap space so you can sign somebody on the wing. But I, I would say with the Melton trade, Matisse, whatever the percentage was, I would say it goes up that he's still here next year. All right, let's let's talk about Melton. You brought him up. He's not really a wing. I've listened to you talk about it. I've read your amazing piece about him. Um, and so, I, you know, he, he's 6'2". His wingspan is about the same as Danny Green's, but he's like 25 pounds lighter. Yeah. You, you, sounds like you're suspicious that this is a closing lineup involving D'Anthony Melton, right? Yeah, I, I would say so. Just, just because of the size, like you said. I mean, he is a lot skinnier than Danny Green. He's, you know, he's like three or four inches shorter than Danny Green. And I, I mean, I, I don't know, like if you, if you have him, Harden and Maxi together, th- that's nothing. He never did that in Memphis, you know, and, and he was a good player in Memphis, but he always had a point guard. He always played with John Morant or Tyus Jones. And then there was always a guy that was significantly bigger than him, whether that was Dylan Brooks or Zaire Williams, or even like John Conchar or somebody like that. So I, I don't think he's going to be your three. You know, I, to me, he feels like almost the perfect backup guard. You know, he's like the guy who you can't play Maxi and Harden the entire game. So in the minutes where you only have one of them on the floor, you stick Melton in the other guy's spot. And that's perfect because Melton, you know, his deficiencies, what, what can he do? He, he can't dribble and he can't really pass. Okay. Well, you said like you've watched most of his offensive possessions. What did you queue up synergy or NBA? Yeah. Yeah. I queued up all of the synergy <laughs> offensive possessions. And like, look, that's not, those aren't full games. So that's not what he does off the ball. It's not the little things he does, but it's, it's all the possessions where he has the ball in his hand. And, he, and that was your takeaway. He couldn't, couldn't really dribble. Yeah. He's a better, <laughs> I mean, look, he's a better ball handler than Danny green because everybody's a better ball handler than Danny Green. <laughs> like you're not going to be, you're not going to be scared when D'Anthony Melton pushes the ball up the floor that he's going to dribble the ball off his foot like Danny Green. But in the half court, you know, you hear about what a great athlete he is and he's a very good athlete. It, it, it gets mitigated a little bit because he doesn't get anywhere with his handle. His change of direction isn't great. And frankly, his straight line speed isn't great. Like he takes off from kind of weird angles when he's trying to finish. So he's not somebody who you're running pick and rolls with, but you know what? That's okay. You have James Harden, you have Tyrese Maxey, you have the league scoring champ who, uh, who's going to take up a bunch of offensive possessions as well. But yeah, I think this is another example of the Sixers front office very much like two years ago, just going after fit with their, their main stars and finding a player who, you know, his strengths and weaknesses, at least on paper to me, seem like they fit up pretty well 
with uh, with those star players. So we'll, we'll see how it, it works out. But, you know, I mean, part of the reason I think he was available is that, yeah, he's a little unreliable as a as a ball handler and, and a passer. That's, that's part of the reason I think Memphis made him available to the Sixers. He was like three of 21 and open three pointers in, in the playoffs. So I think that's got a, a lot to do with it. Struggle um, in the playoffs too. Yeah. Yeah. So man, listening to you talk, it sounds like it's going to highlight Sixers fans neuroses. Like we love a dog and he is, and he's <laughs> going to get these steals, but we can't stand when a guy like dribbles poorly or goes on a streak of shooting. Then you hear them getting booed. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see that, how they react to Melton. Probably they'll love him because he'll do a highlight dunk, get a steal, and hit a three. He's Yeah, he's weird, right? Because he's in the – on the one hand, he's a little bit in the Danny Green, Robert Covington fold where yes. a guy who can't dribble and who bombs threes and when they, when they miss, they look really bad. I, I feel like – look, I'm not saying Sixers fans are not – um, intelligent. So I don't want to take it that way, but the people in the crowd, they, they could pick up on that easier than what Danny green and Covington do well, you know, that, that type of thing. But I, I will say, I will say though, he's a better ball handler. I think than both of those guys, it just doesn't really go anywhere with it. And the other beauty of him is, yeah, he, he has highlight dunks. And, and I think the other beauty is that he, I feel like watching his three pointer. I don't think it's going to be quite as streaky as those guys. Like I just feel like he's got a very compact motion and he's going to get to, you know, in between 37 and 40% in a more normal way than Danny green. If that makes sense, Danny green was one of my favorites, but man, when he was bad, it was really bad. And I, I just don't think the Anthony Melton is going to have quite the ups and downs of him. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned a couple interesting things. You said his lower body was kind of clean, his shooting motion. Maybe yeah. that translates to his open catch and shoot shots. And you also said he might have a little bit more range than Danny to extend to above the break. Danny was mostly deployed in the corners. If the Sixers are even thinking about a guy like Tucker or keeping Matisse Seibel, then they're probably going to need Melton to spot up above the break on the wings, right? Yeah, it's a great point, right? Th those guys, I mean, P.J. Tucker is, I know he did a little more for Miami this year with all of their movement offense, but I think in, in Houston and if, uh, if he plays with Harden again and Daryl Morey, like cemented into the corner, his feet, 90%, 90% of his threes are in the corner. <laughs> his feet are literally cemented. Yeah. And then he runs in for an offensive rebound when they, uh, when the, when the ball goes up. So yeah, I, I think that's a great point by you. Yeah. He, I, I forget the the number. I think it was like, he shot like 45% last year from the, the right wing, the right break above the break threes, which was impressive. And you just, you know, I was, again, I watched all of the shots. I thought, you know, Danny green, it almost felt like he needed the, uh, the transition run up and take those shots. Like he had yes. a little more momentum on those ones. De'Anthony Melton doesn't strike me as that. Like he feels like he's pretty comfortable taking those shots, making those shots at, at roughly the same rate as the corners, which is pretty impressive to me. Cause look, I didn't watch all the shots from past years, but I do know that, you know, coming into the NBA, he was not considered a great shooter. That was part of the reason he fell in the draft. So whatever he has done over the past few years in terms of tightening that up, it seems like, you know, whether it was him or the coaching staff in Memphis or whatever, they, they've done a nice job. Yeah, we've looked we've looked forward a little bit. Let's let's do a little looking backwards, and it's a lot less fun and a lot less exciting. So fair warning. But one of the most frustrated I've heard you was talking about James Harden's end of the season. 
Um, yeah. What it was tough, right? It was hard to watch. He was just hiding in the corners, and you wondered, like, is he really injured or is he thinking about that two hundred million dollar bag? And he's just doesn't even want the ball. Um, where do you think the team is at with Harden? Do you think that's playing into why we're hearing he might opt in because they they're just adamant it's got to be a three year deal? Um, and what like how optimistic do you think they are internally about his hamstrings and his body moving forward? I think there's definitely some optimism that he's going to be better with, with, like you said, you know, a full off season off to rest that up, even though he is, you know, he's working out and doing all of those things. So it's not, I would say the, the traditional just take some time off. Um, but yeah, with, with extra time and, and all those things, those are kind of the external factors that, I, I said this, I think, when I was frustrated with him after the season that, like, look, with with time, people are going to forget this a little bit. And that's always the way it works. Even with Ben Simmons last year, people, I'm not going to say they forgot about how it happened, but even that died down a little bit. And this was not as bad as the Ben Simmons thing. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I just think, like, looking back specifically at that game six, it, it look, it was a really tough look for James Harden. He just it didn't feel like he went down swinging and that's a bummer because Embiid did and Embiid was just completely gassed and completely injured and all of those things. So that was a, that was a tough way to go about it. No, and so to answer your question, I would just say the, the, the three year idea is not specific to that game and how it ended. I think it's more just his, the, you know, the ups and downs that, uh, that he had, I would say, over the, what was it, three months he was here? You know, it wasn't just those last games. You know, he started out in that first week and was unbelievable. But, look, I mean, you know, he had a lot of stinkers, too. And, you know, it, it was clear that he was not, you know, even if the hamstring was hurting him a little bit, he was not the 2018 Harden. So I, I think it's that. But but I also think it's it's things that aren't specific to Harden. It's the Tyrese Maxey next contract. It's the NBA TV deal coming up. It's it's adding flexibility and avoiding the complete albatross where you just have a guy who's going to be on your books for for five years. And so I, I think Daryl Morey and the front office, they're, they're valuing a little bit of the, the future flexibility while also trying to go for it in a window over the next couple of years. You think there's a part of Morey who I believe he's extended through 2025, isn't as worried about the final two years and would love to get him on the type of deal that allows you to also get, you know, an NTMLE and a BAE and, and pretty much go all in for the next three seasons. I, I don't actually, Dave. I think, I think first off the, the, it would be nicer to have the NTMLE. I, I've struggled with that acronym. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, me too. Uh, but, but here's one thing I, I am pretty confident saying about Daryl Morey over the years and just, just these last couple of years. I think he views that hard cap as very restrictive, you know? So if, if you do spend that and you do spend, you know, the BAE, like you said, I don't know, man. Like I, I find it a little hard to believe he's going to j- go just under that. Because if you are right up against the hard cap and you were trying to win a championship and trying to make moves in the middle of the year, you better be under that hard cap cap by a couple million dollars. Like the farther you are below it, it's just very restrictive. I remember the year when the Warriors signed and traded for D'Angelo Russell when KD left and they were hard cap because they made that sign and trade and they were right up against it. And even for them, they were the worst team in the league that year. 
Panthers, the second worst team in the league that year. It was a complete pain in the ass to just stay under that thing. It's really hard. So for a team that's actually trying to win the title, and especially when you get into the difference between the non-taxpayer versus the taxpayer MLE, like, is it automatic that you get a better player for that, uh, for that non-taxpayer? No, like, you know, you're kind of just guessing at that point. Um, it would be nicer to be able to bid for it. So, uh, no, I, I don't think uh, it, it's because of Maury's contract. I think it's just because of he views it as, okay, like, yeah, we might be able to get a slightly better player for this non-taxpayer MLE, but, man, it to not have that flexibility at all during the season, especially when you have an ownership who, like, they're willing to pay the tax here. You know, that's not exactly the issue right now. So I, I think it's just the, the restrictions that the collective bargaining agreement gives you for for making those moves. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of good intel about the hard cap and how much a creative GM like Daryl would try to avoid that. So does that make you think that the Tucker thing maybe is a, more of a long shot than it's starting to sound like? I mean, Mark Stein made it sound like people would be surprised if it fell through. I just, when I see that report, and by the way, they they definitely like PJ Tucker. Like, let's let's be real here. Well, he you just are, crushed them. <laughs> he just he just killed them. He is, I think he, he said it with, them. You said it with Melton earlier, you know, despite his age, he's a dog. He, yeah. he is, a, is a dog in a very good way um, where he just look as much as I just killed Harden for not playing hard enough in the uh, in that game. PJ Tucker, 36 years old, whatever he is, 37 now, whatever it is. He was all over the place, like you said, like and he just wanted it more than them. So would it be nice to have that guy? I think he'd be an awesome fit on this team. Honestly, you know, I'm a little, I'm very worried about his age when giving him the contract, but come on, what, what are we talking about? Joel Embiid just gave him, you know, a, a soliloquy after they lost about what a great player he was. He and we, we know James Harden and Daryl Morey like him, like, come on. I mean, that was part of their great success in, uh, in Houston. So they definitely like him. I, so my thing with Tucker though, is just, I think there's interest here from the Sixers, but how are they getting there? How are they getting to that 10 million, uh, $10 million? So, and I think to me, the one that that is the least amount of pain. And we talked about this earlier is James Harden taking less money this year and figuring out a way to do that. But if James Harden is opting in, I, I don't know, like, are you just trading Thibel for nothing in the, in the cap space? I, I, I'm not sure that's the right move, you know, despite, my major reservations about Matisse Thibel moving forward. And you have to do that with Korkmaz too, maybe shake too. Like, so I, I do think, yeah, I do think it's a little bit of a longer, long shot until we see another domino. I, I just, if we don't see another major domino, whether that's a Tobias trade or, or Harden taking less money. Yeah. I do think it's a long shot. We're going to talk about the report that Mike Rubin sold his 10% share in the team and the way it was reported and how that raised some eyebrows whether or not that could play a factor as Adrian Wojnarowski suggested in the James Harden uh, next contract. But first, a quick word from our sponsor before we're back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
and Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, talking about him doing that and maybe taking less money, that Michael Rubin report selling the, what, what's your take on that? He sells his 10% stake. And like, I thought it was so weird because your own Weitzman is writing a piece that, that I'm almost cringing as if I'm one of the Sixers owners and getting these tampering charges and Woj is talking about it. Like everyone's saying, this is really going to help the Sixers. Woj even said like, maybe help them sign James Harden. So is the, like not at all hidden implication that they're going to be able to offer more than they're allowed to, to players. I honestly, I was baffled by the, <laughs> the public phrasing of that. It was yeah. like Adam Silver saying, okay, yeah, you can tamper. And I was, right. like, I was like, man, isn't that like what you don't say, you know, in, in the public reporting uh, look, I, he, he is definitely good friends with Harden. I, I almost think that is more of a product of, Michael Rubin is like a super connected guy in the NBA. He is look literally all of the pro sports leagues have to deal with him because fanatics is this huge company. And it's clear that he has aspirations besides just being the, uh, the number one Jersey place and the, you know, that type of thing. So I guess that was part of the reason, like they, they kind of put it politely and they, they kind of understood that he would still be part of the, the Sixers without being actually, part of the uh of the Sixers but yeah I the, the public phrasing on like Adam Silver saying yeah now it's okay to tamper is uh <laughs> look I, I'm not saying so it's not weird. I'm not saying it's not significant like I, I don't know exactly what that's going to mean in practice moving forward but it, it could be a little bit in response to the tampering charges that the Sixers got you know they didn't actually get charged but the, the accusations with the the Harden fiasco in Brooklyn this year when you read like Keith Pompey's reporting and they're like, oh, they're they're all in on Tucker, although a Sixers source says that they don't have interest in Tucker, you're you're reading it this for these possible tampering charges to come later down the road. Hearing all this stuff and hearing what an asset he might be and like he's what Knicks fans hope worldwide West is, would it surprise <laughs> you then if they couldn't get any wiggle room on an opt-out? <laughs> If they would it surprise me if they couldn't get any? No, no, yeah, it, wouldn't, like, it wouldn't surprise me. So, Harden's you know, still gonna opt in. Yeah, I mean, like, look, you know, if, if James Harden is not getting the deal he wants, he has the option to just say, Hey, I'm gonna take that 47 million and we'll work from there. Uh, but like, look, I 
yeah, it, so that doesn't surprise me. I don't think Michael Rubin is going to have too much of an effect on uh, on that specific decision moving uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky with this Harden thing, though, man. Like, I, I just think the, the idea of him opting in is, I don't know, if, if you want to build the best team possible, I feel like the, the solution is to have him take a little bit less money this year and maybe try and load it up in the coming years. But like, look, the, the Sixers and, and Daryl Morey, they're very, very smart. So may, maybe they have another workaround that I just don't see at this point. But but like from the reporting we've gotten so far, no, I would not be surprised if uh, if Harden took that $47 million option. These are reputable people. Let's wait, let's pivot to Joel a little bit. Um, Joel is a very interesting interview in an exit interview. That's when I feel like he gives you this Rorschach test of abstract art to decode all summer long. I like that. Um, he, I have never heard anyone say the summer of 2000, the off season of 2020, when they brought in Seth and later Andre Drummond, it's usually like Seth and Danny for spacing. But when asked about Daryl Morey, he said, well, yeah, he brought in Seth. And then later he brought in Andre Drummond. It was like, you know, holy damning by faint praise, Joel. Do you think he was frustrated in that moment with Daryl Morey? And do you think that related to the Harden deal? Later we heard Bill Simmons was like, well, Joel pushed and pushed for Bradley Beal. I don't, I think he was frustrated by Harden, honestly, in that loss. I don't, I think Joel and Morey have a pretty good relationship. Um, I think Joel among NBA stars is probably on the easier end of, of dealing with it. Now, you know, in the past, I would say he probably hasn't gotten quite as involved as a player of his stature could, you know, he's like, he's on the clue me in role. You know, he's on like the, let, let me know what's going on, but it is, it is a little frustrating when he, he does that, or he's the guy who takes a vacation. And then during the middle of the season, he's like, man, I can't believe we made these moves. How did we trade Jimmy Butler? You know? So, and by the way, which is a, a natural reaction to have too. And I think, Look, that's part of him maturing as uh, the, the public face of the franchise, which, you know, I, I don't think he understood early in his career. You know, I don't think he was quite ready for that. Not like I, I wouldn't, I could be 50 years old and not be ready for that. So I'm not like blaming him. By you don't means. think he pushed very hard for them to keep Butler despite wanting Butler? Uh, not not as hard as he could have. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Um, and then he kind of looked at it afterwards, like all of us, and we're like, man, this was a ridiculous move, you know? Uh, but like, look, I was, I, I will take credit for the one thing I was, I was on team run it back for that year too, which uh, I did not realize that taking that position is, was going to be completely right. Like I didn't, the Jimmy Butler contract scared me at that point. I, I had no idea that Jimmy Butler was going to be this good in the coming years, but I was still on that. So it, it, I was right, but I also didn't understand why I was going to be right, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he has a good relationship. I believe with you wrote too, like the idea of Horford maybe not overlapping. Like he might not be part your best closing five. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was part of it. I, I still probably got talked into the Kool Aid a little bit. I just I did not realize what a terrible fit Horford would be. I mean, it was unbelievable. What well, a bad needed, fit. He needed a year off in Oklahoma. Either way. Yeah. And then he, and then he goes to Boston and he's a good player again, just <laughs> a, absolutely ridiculous. What Boston's been able to do 
to the I Sixers. Do, I do occasionally get flashbacks because I remember hearing Woj and Zach Lowe talk about how Boston had a certain number they will not go past. And there's a mystery team out there who's going to obliterate at night, get a little bit of scary deja vu with PJ Tucker. And like, you know, I know Miami's actually capped. They can't go past a certain number with his what, non-bird rights or whatever it is, but maybe they'll know a little bit more about how he's going to age in the Sixers would, for example. Uh, or maybe they're just hunting bigger fish, like trying that's, to find Kevin Durant. That's an interesting part about it, though. I mean, they, they have the capacity to bring him back at at least close to that number with non-bird rights, though. He's yeah, making so. like seven this year. So it's not any crazy difference if, if they wanted to bring him back. And like, look, you're right. They know better than anybody how he's going to age. You know, it's it's so crazy that we're talking about a 37-year-old who... I, like, look, I think he would really help this team. I know people aren't that jazzed up about it, but if you you get PJ Tucker in here, I think you're a better basketball team for sure. And among the the options that are available for the mid level exception, he would be high up there. But he's also 37 years old. Could he just fall off a cliff in like two weeks? You know, I, I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility either. Well, you could just be the load management all stars for a little while. Um, yeah. You when you when you and Derek played stay or go, Derek asked you an interesting question. He basically said, like, um, Millsap and DeAndre stay or go, assuming Doc won't Doc. And so I guess you guys had a little laugh about it, but I'm wondering, having listened to you guys in the past, you've talked a lot about the, the order of operations and how they're all compromising, and Doc certainly shares when he has his stamp. How involved do you think Doc is on the roster? Um, and do you think he will be less so moving forward? I think, yeah, I, I think he's involved maybe a little bit more than the average coach, but like, look, it's, it's Daryl Morey's show. Like he is, he is the person making these moves and, you know, with some, something like a, a minimum backup center, that's an easier move to just throw the coach a bone, you know, if they, if he wants that guy, because, it didn't really take any resources. It just took one roster spot. You know, they gave him a uh, a minimum salary. And I thought uh, I thought Maury's comments were pretty interesting, where he said the the threshold for a minimum veteran center is going to be high this year for them to sign. So basically, I think it's pretty clear that they want to give the front office wants to give Bassey and Reed a chance. Like they they want a degree of hey, like we have a pretty good roster here, should win a bunch of games. And the backup center spot, look, that should not be something that is like life or death here. Um, let, like, why let the young is guys... it always? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And I get why Sixers fans are scarred about it. But as we saw last year with Paul Reed, who played pretty well in the playoffs, like I thought he survived. He was not the reason they lost for sure, which is an improvement over uh, past year's backup centers. And he was a big improvement over that. Um, yeah, just like let the young kids go for the spot. And I think that is what is going to happen. It's just, it's always interesting to me though. And Maury put it this way. I mean, back good backup centers, like acceptable ones are, are available for minimum contracts now. So it's just a matter of like, do you want to use the roster spot or no? But if, if I had to guess, they're going to let those two battle it out. Yeah. He said doc was excited about Reed after the playoffs. And that if we did go, like you said, for a big, that, that guy would have to be pretty good. You know, I was thinking Andre Drummond or something like that. Uh, otherwise, you think to your point earlier, they really, really need to throw every last resource they have at wing, whether that's a vet a MLE six million or ten million and a vet men, they might need two of those. Because uh I don't know who they're gonna put on Jason Tatum. 
that's that's what the whole thing is now. And like, look, you know, could there be you know some crazy trade that I'm just not seeing right now? But but like you said, what do they have right now? They have the smaller MLE, and they have minimums. That's got to be three wings, one guy for the MLE and two guys on minimums who. And and they got to hit on one of the minimum guys. You're hoping you hit on the MLE. That's why you you pay that guy money. But it's like you said, I, and that's why Tucker would be a good fit. They just have nobody to guard the bigger wings. And it would be nice to say you have PJ Tucker to throw on the bigger wings, or you know whoever they get for the uh, for the MLE. Because like, look, Matisse Dibel, they really don't have any proven playoff guys at the three right now. Matisse Dibel, I am not counting in that five and a half players for the playoffs, because he has not proven that he can stick on the floor because his offense is so bad. So that's kind of where we're at. They, they, I like the Melton trade, but there's a lot of positional overlap uh, at the guard position right now. And I think, yeah, whatever they do, if they are actually serious about trying to win this year, the rest of this has to be dedicated to guys that are six, six to six ten. you know, that's what it's gotta be. So basically trade Tobias for three of those guys. Look, that that would be the ideal thing, and I I think they know that man. They they know that trading Tobias and making him two three and D guys Both would be the Martin the, twins. And... That would well, yeah, that would be ideal. Unfortunately, there's a thing called the salary cap, and there's a thing called Tobias's contract, which makes that a little bit harder to pull off. And the one thing I will say for Tobias. It's not um it's not like the Lakers trying to get rid of Russell Westbrook. Like Tobias has enough usefulness on this team despite not being a great fit and despite not being the ideal roster construction around these guys that there is a point where it becomes prohibitive to to move him. You, there is a point where you would just rather keep him and say, "All right, we will live with his uh his non-perfect fitting talent." And if I had to guess, they they are going to live with that at least heading into the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. I wanted to ask you this. We have. We'll see. Maybe, maybe they have a great trade, but but I, I just I, I find that I find that tough to believe with the the limited assets that they have. Yeah, I, I do find myself hearing you speak. I do find myself leaning towards not done yet. Maybe something big still coming because the incentives are there. I don't know if they can pull it off, but the in, the incentives are very much there. They're going to so, try. They're, yeah. they're already trying. So I, I'm not. Um, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, completely write off anything here. Any of these guys who we don't think will be in the rotation, do you think any of them have a chance? You mentioned Bassey. You think he'll have a chance. What about any of the other names we're hearing from Springer on down to some of these exhibition tens? I find uh, Springer to be interesting. He's the guy at Summer League. He's really probably the only guy I care about at Summer League. I know, you know, the centers will get a shot. I know like Bassey will play there, but I I feel pretty good about what Bassey can do. Like once you almost dominate the G league, it's like, all right, that's fine. I I don't really care about that anymore. It's what B-ball Paul, you know, him dominating in the G league and summer league. I was so sick of that. Like he, (laughs) at at that point, I I know he can put up, you know, a million points against these guys. I I do not care. He needs to play against NBA rotation players. And that's what made the playoffs kind of cool. Springer to me, I, I know there's optimism from, from inside about him. He just looked really raw to me as a rookie, and that's okay. You know, he was basically the youngest guy in the league at that point. But, you know, look, the, the bar for playing for this team is high. The, the threshold is high to actually crack this rotation. And he definitely brings some of the defense, but also, like, they just got to Anthony Melton, who's just 
a more experienced version of Jaden Springer. I almost feel like, um, but he, he would be the one guy. And then I, I think Bassie will get a chance with Reed too. Like, I think there is a, an idea of Bassie might be a little bit more of a traditional backup center. Like he could protect the rim, catch lobs, do all of those things. So yeah, of those two names you mentioned, I, I would say those two are the ones to, uh, to look for. And hopefully we'll see him at summer league here. Um, do you think, or this is kind of a yes or no. Do you think there was a Fertitta tax on Eric Gordon? And that's why he's not here. No, I, I just think they, they got the Anthony Melton and that was an easier fit. I mean, I think it's, it's more of an Eric Gordon makes how much money does he make? Like 18, 19. Million? Yeah, it's a lot. It's hard for the Sixers to get to that, uh, to that number. And, you know, if you're shopping for PJ Tucker, you know, if, if you traded for that, if you traded green and, you know, cork for that, it would have been harder. Rich, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, where can people find you? Just uh, Rich underscore Hoffman, one F, two N's. People always get that wrong on Twitter uh, at The Athletic. If uh, if you want to subscribe, I'm sure we have some sort of deal that we can get. And uh, Sixers Beat Podcast. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on. No problem. Always good. Yeah. One of my favorite follows.